popcorn because we're talking through some bullshit research today and some good research and but... some good research <laughs> but we kind of figured you know there's a lot of issues to put it lightly with research and especially since we just talked about plant-based diets athleticism leanness but and you know, all things <laughs> in that realm lauren and i got to talking and we just you know, we were really passionate about informing athletes about bullshit, basically, because we want to make sure you know what's not good, what is some bad beta to listen to. And we want to help inform and make the space around just diets, nutrition, and also weight is a big part of this too. We just want to make it more accessible, but also we want to add to the more correct rhetoric here so absolutely um and for reference on the day this is being recorded i i woke up after a harrowing nightmare at (laughs) 4 30 in the morning my nightmare was very stupid i know it's horrible to tell people about your dreams but i literally was on some the police were chasing me and my friends forever and then i woke up like to the announcement that I was getting federal charges or some shit and i woke up and i was like oh my god and then i couldn't sleep so then i was like Time to read some research papers. So I just researched rampaged at the wee hours of the morning until the sun rose. But I feel I feel fired up. I feel ready. I feel like I shouldn't have accidentally drank pre-workout before bed last night, which was a big mistake. Big mistake. Basically, I just like really wanted some water and my water bottle from the crag was like still kind of full. And I was like, oh great, water with like a little bit of stuff in it. That'll Mm, taste good. And then I'm like laying in bed and I'm like, fuck, that had pre-workout in it and I was like you big dumbass so anyways don't do that (laughs) literally the worst thing you could do but we're fired up and today we are going to dig into how to better consume research and we're talking about like actually reading a research paper not a fucking buzzfeed article that like has a click to the (laughs) research paper like the research paper even more than like just the abstract um google scholar people because People will take things out of context, slap it in a crappy article, and then you'll think that you're making choices that are going to positively impact your health when the research isn't actually backing it up. So we're mad. Yeah. We're excited to talk about <laughs> it. And we're going to break <laughs> break some things down today. So without further ado, we want to start by talking about just some things to look out for. And I think Caitlin and I will probably have a little bit of back and forth about like what we personally look for in research papers also just to like remind everyone of our backgrounds so i am not a phd but i do have a chemical engineering degree i read a lot (laughs) of research papers in college and i also had to take experiment design courses modeling and simulation courses so though i am not a phd researcher in the field of nutrition i at least had to read a lot of research papers and learned a lot in college about what a quality experiment looks like and what a low quality experiment looks like. So I feel what, compelled yeah. to be able to talk about this as a consumer of information. Caitlin. What a good research paper does make. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> totally. Yes. And my background, I even though I initially was a dirt nerd, I did. <laughs> a soil scientist, to clarify. Soil scientist in my first career. And I did uh, perform 
that's a weird way to say it, but I did have a paid research project uh, when I was in undergrad and I also have a master's degree where I did write a thesis. So I do feel that, you know, we, we have a good background in understanding what makes a good research paper, what makes a good study. And we, we both feel really passionate about this, right, Lauren? Like it's, I think there's a lot of bad, bad stuff on online and some stuff I see, I'm just like, oh my God, why? And then we run into the issue You feel literally one layer back and you're like, uh, okay, this is some flim flam bullshit. So yeah, I guess let's get into it. What things, what's like a big thing when you're kind of evaluating a research paper that you sort of like look for to determine like, oh, was this high quality and should I be like taking how many grains of salt do I need to take with this? Some <laughs> yeah. of the things you look for when you're examining a research paper. Well, so I kind of I take a step back because I think a lot of the papers out there that are open source sadly are narrative reviews. And while narrative reviews are really interesting, they can have a lot of bias from mm-hmm. the author's perspective. So they're they're cool. They do take a look at the research, but they're not necessarily compiling the data in a way that is statistically significant or they're not using any type of way to measure statistically what's going on in the papers that they're looking at. So comparing comparing, comparing to things like meta-analyses or systematic reviews that do use statistics, narrative reviews just largely might add a lot of personal bias uh, depending on who the author is. And so I take a step back and I look for things like observational and experimental studies. So I do take a look at methods first and I try to see, you know, is it a randomized control trial, a double blind study? um, What are their participants they're looking at? You know, who actually are they? And then I like to look down further and see, like, are they looking at five participants? Is this a Yeah, sample size is a big one. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, statistical significance, there's a lot of weight in sample size. And I feel like you have to look at at factors that they control for, uh, for sure. So, Lauren, I mean, what do you look at when you look at specific factors that they're they're controlling for? Is there something that typically is – what stands out for you? Absolutely. And just to back up real quick, because I think Caitlin might have thrown some some master's degree words at you. So <laughs> a narrative review is going to be something like, I think we're going to dig into this article a little bit, but a narrative review is going to be like a paper probably written by someone, you know, with substantial background and something where they're going to like put together a few research papers and kind of like use that to make an argument. Whereas a meta analysis mm. is going to take lots of different studies and combine them together into like usually a very large sample size. So, you know, for example, you might have a meta-analysis that combines like over 400 studies into one big paper, and then you can draw conclusions from like a much larger sample size. So narrative review, kind of a kind of an op-ed of the science world, meta-analysis, big combination of lots of studies. But yeah, just to clarify that for anyone that's like, (laughs) I don't nerd very much. I checked out. Immediately, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, we're good here. Um, so just to clarify that, but obviously, bigger sample size, you're gonna have a better time and have you know whatever. Also, other quick like word we might be throwing around here is statistical significance. So this is just basically saying that like the way they do the stats on the research and the way that it is analyzed is significant and actually like compounds to make a difference versus like 
you'll have some variation among data sets always, but a statistically significant result is going to, you know, be, for lack of a better term, significant and meaningful to drawing conclusions. So that's an important thing to know as well. But I would say like things that really kind of, the big things I'm looking for, especially when I'm looking at nutrition studies, um, is like, what factors are we controlling for? Um, I was looking at, and I'll put this in the show notes, but I was looking at, for example, a meta-analysis this morning, and it did combine a ton of studies um, about a plant-based diet versus people who do not, who eat a more omnivorous diet. And while, you know, they did combine a lot of research studies and there were a ton of participants, like among all of it, they did not pick studies that didn't control for things like socioeconomic status, like race, education level, like all these things that are pretty major factors in determining things. And I'm like, if you can't control for things that are going to like lifestyle, they didn't control for like how much these people exercise. So I'm like, this is helpful. Like, it's interesting that people that like eat this plant-based way correlationally have this, you know, like better health markers essentially, but like they didn't control for a lot of things that I think are pretty darn important. And I'm like, yeah, like this is cool, but you know, look into it. So I would say that's like a pretty big thing is like, look at what they're controlling for in these studies, because there could be a lot of like correlational factors that are actually Mm -hmm. not hard on, you know, just like use your brain, you know, (laughs) that like, there are probably some like, like look at the big picture and zoom out. You're a person that exists in the world, right? Like, you know how things work and you have like background knowledge from just being human. So like, look at what they're controlling for because they're not controlling for certain factors and there could be extraneous things like impacting the result like that's Mm -hmm. maybe not not the best study so (laughs) I mean the kind of like the couple examples there too that are I see blatantly left out in research papers and we don't have to get into this too much but just so everyone listening is aware you know there's a lot of papers on quote trained People, oh, this is a good one athletes. too. Yes. And you have, I mean, some studies are extrapolated and, you know, you might see overall like this one group of people that they studied were trained for only three weeks and then they say that they're trained athletes and it's like, well, maybe not actually. No. <laughs> That's not quite right. Um, but even when we consider things like studies that look at gender and menstrual cycles, they often omit people who menstruate in certain times of the cycle because hormones are their own confounding variable. So there's just a lot of weird stuff in studies. And I mean, take, like Lauren said, take the population with a grain of salt, but also see if you can, you know, take a look at the study. If you are not represented in the study, it doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to you, but it also doesn't mean that it does. There's just a lot of, I think, uh, nuance, gray area, lots of things to decipher behind the scenes. And this is like a perfect example of why you can't just like look at an abstract and like hope for the best because like, for (laughs) example, with because in an abstract, to bring up Caitlin's like trained athlete example, an abstract might say like, the conclusion would be in a trained population, like X, Y, Z thing was determined. And then if you like peel back one layer, look at the methods and like, look at the population, you're like, okay, like three weeks, three weeks of training does not a trained (laughs) athlete make like, come on now. So it's kind of like this stuff that's like these sort of like unregulated terms. And like, that's why you gotta also sometimes research papers are paywalled and you might be like, I would love the knowledge, but I also don't have $50. I'm not going to spend $50 on this right now. So just like, I don't know, keep that in mind. Like when, 
you're looking at things and seriously, like look Mm -hmm. at the actual research papers, like Google scholar has a ton of free stuff. Like if you're really trying to like get answers on some things, like some opinion piece that a PhD wrote is, you know, like it's going to be helpful, but also like note Mm -hmm. that there's going to be bias there. And also like Caitlin and I both have our own biases about like the stuff that we're talking about all the time too. So like, you know, you can't get away from like human opinion and bias, but we're just saying use your brain. So Caitlin, is there anything else that we're missing? These are kind of like the big, I think those are like the big call outs that we have. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess the last call out I'll make is even if a study is, I won't say it's high quality, but even if a study does have all of the right things to categorize it, you know, if, if it's a randomized control trial, you know, like, like we said, there can still be some things wrong, like depending on, if there's any, uh, you know, bias within, like, uh, what is it called? Uh, I'm just looking we'll get at our there. notes. Um, <laughs> oh, conflict of interest. Conflict oh, of interest. Oh, yes. If yeah. there is anything there, you know, you don't know. Like, for example, a lot of uh, stu- supplements will do in-house testing, but that's not helpful because that in and of itself has its own bias. There's a conflict of interest there. Right. Then, or like it's useful, but also you need to take into account that a positive result may be impacted by the fact that there is totally a conflict of interest. Right. Yeah. It may, I mean, third party testing is important in that circumstance. We're not going to get into that, but it is really important to kind of take, you know, look at this with some of I wouldn't say skepticism in every research paper you look at, but do know your sources. Try and understand that even if you read a title of a paper, you know, kind of look through it a little bit more to the, the best of your ability, but also see if if it goes into a bit more detail just to understand that there may be some confounding factors for why they found the results that they did. Absolutely. And then, okay, actually, I have one last call out. As rock climbers, um, there is getting to be more research out that is for us, but a lot of the stuff that we get to look at as climbers is going to be on sports that are not specifically our sport or sports that maybe don't like line up. Like, for example, people use running a lot because it's like a relatively simple thing to study versus something more skill based. So like you might see like a thing say like athletes generally speaking and then it's like okay these are athletes in a sport that's completely different than ours so I would say like if you're looking at papers and you're trying to find stuff like a lot of climbing coaches I've found will kind of try to look at research you know if it's on climbers great but other things like gymnastics martial Mm -hmm. arts things like that that use a variety of different some overlap some overlap like and they're skill-based sports so just keep that in mind too that like we don't always have the perfect study that represents rock climbers and that's like another thing we kind of have to manage in the climbing community but now we're kind of going to get into like a good good research paper that we were like this we like this this was good and then we also have another research paper where we were like eh, the conclusions that people are drawing from this are maybe a little bit overstated so I would say let's start with the one that we like don't enjoy that much and then also would you say that the Berkeley article that we've kind of been talking about is also sort of like a narrative piece oh absolutely yeah lauren and i in if you listen to part one of the plant-based episode we did reference an article that talked about you know the the ick word i think that we skirted around but leanness and so that's sort of what the impetus for us actually looking through this this article a bit more really 
where that came from. And I mean, this article, I'm saying it with quotes, but it's a narrative review. So there's some interesting points, but this person is largely a blogger, I think you said, Lauren. And <laughs> That's a even, strong word, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is interesting. It's it's only a synthesis, though, of the info that this one author's perspective found. And, you know, we don't necessarily know their background, but there were a lot of interesting points. So I think we, we kind of looked at this and we thought that there were some important points to pull out from it and to support what we're what we're talking about in terms of research and taking it with a grain of salt so yeah I guess let's get into it so I'll kind of break down like what we so this narrative piece and okay like I'm gonna call it a red flag red flag number one for me was kind of the author sort of states like something along the lines of like athletes have a plant-based athletes have better athletic performance because they have like generally greater leanness was kind of the, mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing here but that's generally the the you know what they said but then they make this claim and then their their supporting arguments for this claim are two papers um one was an article about a comparison of postmenopausal women who are classified as overweight um and then they talk about how a plant-based diet helped them lose weight and have a lower BMI so that was like their support for athletes being generally leaner and then I was like yeah. whoa 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 let's back the fuck up here that makes <laughs> no correlated. sense like no um postmenopausal women who are classified as quote overweight um I don't think that's a good good population to use to say that starting argument no really, I was like, like oh, I was like still in the house of cards here what's yeah. her face so I don't know so that kind of sucked and then another okay so this is the research paper we wanted to dig into that we we I thought was like whoa double whoa um so this so then the second research paper they brought up to like substantiate this argument was a it was done at like a health clinic in New Zealand and essentially over the course of 12 weeks there were two groups um and the population for this article was older adults who were at least classified as overweight and also had some kind of health issue such as diabetes heart disease, hypertension, et cetera. Um, I won't get into all the details there. But essentially what the research paper showed was one group received, quote, normal care, which to me, based on what I read, just seemed like regular doctor's appointments. Again, go read the whole thing for yourself. And then the second group, the intervention group, received the normal care and they were advised to undertake a plant-based diet. And they also received um, facilitated meetings twice weekly where they were getting support with their diet and also learning skills like cooking other you know skills that are going to help with their diet and I'm like looking at Caitlin and I'm like wow do you think it's weird that the group that got a bunch of help and advice about their nutrition got a better result with like weight loss or health improvement (laughs) versus the group that didn't get extra care and twice weekly meetings like I mean Caitlin gets people results with like what like once a month calls right I'm like twice a week like that's a shit ton of support like yeah. I don't know I mean, yeah <laughs> like it, it's so hard to because I think you know think about the general things like Lauren if I asked you like generally what's good for heart health what you know what would I guess like themes that come to mind for me I'd be it's, like eating plants well, well eating plants, vegetables like low sodium low fat like those are the things that come to mind but we've heard this narrative like it's been like indoctrinated in us because we've heard it so much 
But the studies that often show, you know, the the correlation within our diets, they don't they don't look at athletic populations. Like they're done on yeah. people who have pre-existing conditions or have a specific lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So even though we've heard this information for so long and we may see a correlation with certain activities, nutrition and lifestyle behaviors with, you know, certain outcomes, it's like you there's just a lot going on there that yeah. we can't extrapolate as athletes. Right. But like basically to kind of like sum that up. So I don't think the study that she used that was about this, yeah. like one group got a new diet, the other group didn't get a new diet. Therefore plant-based is better. I was like, right. <laughs> um, okay, that's not like that good to me. I'm not compelled. No. And I can't believe you just used that. Also, I can't believe she took that and then used it to say, athletes on a plant-based diet are generally leaner and like whatever and I was like um no those are like not the same population at all that you're drawing that conclusion from so that's like one example of where like narratives can fall short and how you should like really actually Mm -hmm. read something and then two I just I mean I think it's an interesting study I think it's interesting that people had like such great results and saw like better outcomes like that's awesome and the fact that they were like able to stick with it and got all this support like that's super great but I'm not like reading it and going like oh, wow, we found the answer to world peace and, like, health issues. Like, right. no. Like, therefore, yeah, I don't think that that can be applied. It's, like, a, an interesting intro argument to say that, yeah, there are a lot of health benefits to eating a plant-based diet. But, again, it's, like, when you have an athletic population, again, you're probably going to be a healthier, you know, quoting over here, a healthier population just by nature of you actually – being athletic and, you know, working out, which has its own benefits. So I don't know it. I think, I think that is just grossly overstated in this beginning part, but I, yeah, I love this second, second argument. I think that there's more to kind of dig into there, Lauren, if you want to interest there. Um, yeah. Kind of with the main points here. Sweet. Um, Okay, so the second argument that this kind of like Berkeley article made was that I'm interested that you are like into it because I'm reading it and I'm like, ah, basically she also so then she was kind of like, all right, she tried to like equate like plant based diets and veganism with like better more leanness, right? And like this like lower BMI thing. So then the second thing she goes, the second argument that she makes is that a lower body fat percentage is associated with like higher levels of athleticism so she cites a few research papers ones about like olympians having like low body fat percentages and there's like a few other things that are basically just like athletes have a lower body fat one of my favorite sentences in the whole thing was like one paper showed that college athletes had a generally lower body fat percentage than other college students and i was like yeah, yeah, no shit. Have you heard of Miller Lite? Like, no fucking shit. Like, yeah. is this really a sentence? Like, I was like, this is your argument? Like, oh my God. But anyway, so I thought that was kind of like the general second argument. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, she at least found like some research papers. I'm kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, no shit. Like, athletes are usually like leaner than the general population. Like, and right. athletes are usually pretty lean. Um, so, but I think, Kaylin, you, there's another piece to this that I think you want to dig into. So I'll like leave it to you there. Yeah, I... The the part that I find interesting about this argument is that I think it it again it makes some inferences that are probably just not correct, uh, inaccurate inferences are are certainly what's going to 
come up with bias sometimes. But I do think that just because – I know we talked about this a little bit in part one of the plant-based episode, but low body fat just because, you know, maybe a plant-based diet might might contribute to a lower body fat – doesn't make the athlete. In essence, it's it's not a prerequisite to be a leaner athlete, have a lower percent body fat, or eat a plant-based diet to be a better athlete. Um, it, it doesn't – I mean, you can't even show the causation that body weight in sports performance is necessarily beneficial or, you know, lower body fat percentage. There's a lot of misinformation out there about that too. Yeah. Nope. I totally, I totally agree. And also she, like the article even states that like, we had a hard time finding something showing that like showing research, showing that like the athletes having a lower body fat percentage had like better athletic outcomes. Like there was, you know, so that's something that like, I personally haven't seen it. If anyone in the audience has, you know, obviously there's a lot of nuance there and there's a ton of different ways that you could research that question. So like, we're not necessarily Mm going to dig into that here, but I think that was, just an important call out to reiterate. Um, yeah. And I think, I think to close this out. So basically like that was kind of just an example of how like narrative articles can fall short and how you should really like read research papers and like mm-hmm. make an opinion for yourself and not just read like one sentence from the abstract and be like, there's the truth. We're good. Um, but we did <laughs> want to talk about it done. Everything's great. Figured that out. No more questions. Um, but we did want to bring up an article that I, or a research paper that I thought was really great. Um, and I thought it was really even handed and interesting. So I'm going to quickly, um, go over that and yeah, this rip through it. Paper, I'll rip through it. So this p- paper is titled Exercise Capacity of Vegan, Lacto-Ovo Vegetarian, and Omnivorous Recreational Runners. Um, so super quick summary of this. We had 76 participants, which I think is like pretty reasonable. We had 24 vegans, 24 lacto-ovo vegetarians, 24 omnivores, and there was about an even split of men to women. Hooray. Wow. Look at that. Look at that sample size. <laughs> Covered Airflip. a bunch of Covered. stuff. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. And, and they all, so the study controlled for things, which, which I loved. Um, so it controlled for tobacco consumption, training frequency, as well as training distance and training volume. So they found like really well, like very similarly trained athletes for this the and they're all recreational runners. And I'm like, this seems good. I'm not a running coach. So maybe someone who's more of an expert at running would like pick that apart a little bit more, but I'm like, Hey, we even controlled for training status. Amazing. (laughs) And we like controlled for training status in a few different variables, which I thought was great. Um, So the hypothesis they were testing in this study was that there are no differences in exercise performance of omnivores, lacto-ovo-vegetarians, or vegan runners. Um, And essentially the way they tested this. So I won't get into all the nitty gritty details in the blood testing just because like that's too much. Like I said, go read it for yourself. But essentially what they did was with each of the athletes, they did a graded exercise test, which was abbreviated as GXT. Um, and they did a six minute warm up followed by gradually increasing the workload every minute for these runners until the runners were at failure, if you will. And then they kind of like figured out the athletes work capacity and exercise capacity from that. And that is what they evaluated among these like different dietary groups. Um, and the conclusion was that they found no statistically significant difference between these groups of runners. Um, And then when you look at the article, you'll be able to see to like scroll down to like figures one and two to sort of see the graphs. But I thought it was pretty interesting. And I think it just does 
that one seemed like a quality study. And I also yeah. obviously liked it because it sort of backs up what Caitlin says a lot, which is like, everything can work pretty well as long as it works for you. And it's kind of <laughs> right. a research paper that shows yeah. that. Um, obviously, we, we say no cherry picking. And I clearly just cherry picked a research paper that says something that no. I think makes sense. But it, I also think it's a quality study. And um, yeah, I, like I don't actually think it. you cherry picked because what's funny, Lauren and I both separately found this paper and we were like, sick, we found a paper we can talk about. Talk about. And <laughs> we both it was the same paper. But this just goes to show you too that maybe this, you know, plant-based diets, we know a lot about them in the general public. Maybe we don't know enough about them in the athletic population. So maybe we need more research because this one as a preliminary study, I think shows some really cool, interesting points to say like, yeah, there really is no statistically significant difference between the three three groups. There's not necessarily a benefit to exercise capacity, but maybe it's worth looking at different athletic populations, you know, not and just- different athletic perspectives too. It's like, okay, yeah, well, yeah. maybe if the capacity is different, but like, what's the difference between like- Strength. Like strength or like max power output or yeah. what, what happens when we look at like not runners or whatever it may be. So definitely like a jumping off point. We're not saying like, great, we have this one study with only <laughs> right. 76 people and that just claims that all diets are equal because that, you know, is very likely in some ways not the case. And it also depends on mm -hmm. a lot of factors. But we thought this was a quality study that we wanted to bring up that we thought was interesting. So Caitlin, did you have any any last studies that you wanted to bring up before we wrap up the snack break? Also, I'm just going to say it. Snack breaks, we keep being like, they'll be under 20 minutes. They'll be under 30 minutes. And I'm like, I'm going to say they'll be under 35. Yes. Cool. So, we got a lot to say. We're breaking with some snacks. You know, it's yeah, anyway. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> Listen to it on two car rides. Deal with it. Yes. There you so. go. <laughs> um, well, I think it is important to highlight some of the newer research that is coming out about climbers because that is something that is miraculously happening. And I I love this one paper. I believe it came out in 2019 by Dr. G, Dr. Grunhag, and that is at dr.g underscore climbing on Instagram. If I had that last name, my brand logo would be a groundhog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, so maybe you should. G, if you're listening to this I'm sorry I said that super but sorry also big uh, idea Go big on. idea there <laughs> um but they had a study uh called lean and mean associations of level of performance chronic injuries and BMI in sport climbing and he did find that BMI is not associated with climbing related chronic injury or level of performance in climbing. And to also support this further, the average BMI of climbers up to the elite level is similar to that of a lower rate of performance. Oh my God, that's a direct quote from the article. And it's honestly awesome to see like that research coming out. And this was on something over 600 participants and specifically climbers, but there are good papers coming out. Uh, Marissa Michael also has fantastic research in this field as well, especially on body weight and how it is not a determinant of performance. And actually it shows the opposite with lower BMI, lower body fat percentages, seeing a detriment in your performance. So there are resources available. Make sure you do find reputable sources, not just influencers, elite athletes, because a lot of those people aren't the experts so yeah they don't get up 
at four in the morning and cram research <laughs> papers into their noggin. Not that I do this all the time because that's not my job. But in any case, like, you know, keep that in mind. Wait, Kate, Caitlin, we probably just need to do, we, we're going to have to do like an episode on weight and climbing. It's going to get spicy. People are going to get mad. We're going to get emails, but I, it's got to happen, yeah. obviously. So yeah, you're ready for it. You deal with Instagram as an I'm like, this is I my cannot. daily job, Lauren. I, <laughs> I'm fighting this I fight every day. Yes. Fight this fight. Uh, this is the hill I will die on, basically. Yeah, so. it's a good hill. A very good <laughs> hill indeed. Wait, this sounds really... Okay, I'm kind of like, we can't dig into this now, but this is really interesting. I'm excited to dig into this this leanness discussion more um, for sure. So let's, I guess we'll put a pin in that. We'll put a pin in it and put a, put a we're going to talk about that later. But hopefully this was helpful for you in kind of just learning how to like think critically more, um, not get sucked into internet disaster lies and learn how to learn better, hopefully. So we'll link to all of these um, research papers that we've brought up. And yeah, I think we can wrap up the snack break here. Caitlin, do you have any announcements going on right now? Well, about definitely. things going on in your world? In my world, I have a few things coming up. I have Bloom, which is an eight-week intensive or eight-week group coaching experience, (laughs) and it'll cover all things from hormones to detoxing, mental health, uh, nutrition factors in performance as well. And I'm also booking into my fall one-on-one coaching right now, and I'm super stoked to work with more athletes as well. Lauren, what, what do you got going on? Um, let's see. Okay. As far as fall goes, I'm almost full, but if you're looking to work with me in October or November, or I guess like, I don't know, December to start, start hitting me up. Cause the roster is a little over halfway full now, I believe. Um, and then other things going on. Oh, Caitlin and I will be gearing up to do our first ever average climber intensive. Um, so you can find information about all of these things. In the show notes, which is fun, but I'm really excited. Our intensive is going to be two days where you're going to learn a ton about climbing, training, and nutrition. So if you're kind of like a DIY athlete that wants to learn a lot and get some help from coaches and learn how to craft your own training and nutrition game plans, you're going to love the Average Climber Intensive. Um, Spots for that will be very limited because we want to keep it tight-knit so you can interact with us a lot, but stay tuned for more details about that as well and And i think that is about it oh what else one last thing make sure you listen to part two of the plant-based athlete episode where we answer all of your fantastic questions and i think that that wraps us up yeah that'll be yes so if you're listening to this and the part two of plant-based athletes hasn't yet come out um look for that on your spotify the following Yes. The following Thursday, as it were. Okay, sweet. All right, let's wrap it up there. Until next time, everyone. Keep it average. <laughs>